this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Amen. We'll open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 7, Mark 7. We're walking through the gospel of, of Mark and Today we do that in, in preparation before coming to the, the Lord's table later on in the service. Mark chapter 7 is about heart transformation. How do we experience a transformation of the heart? That's what this is all about. Mark chapter 7, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 23. So if you'll take your copy of God's Word and find that text, and let's read it and then walk through it together. The Bible says, Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines, the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within... Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare to come to your table today. Uh, We we thank you that with everything that we've seen happening in our world this week, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. 
We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all people in need of a heart transformation, which is the source of all of our problems. And so we pray that you would deal with us today on a heart level, through your word, by the power of your spirit. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, during all three of of my wife's pregnancies, I noticed some strange things happening with her. There were a lot of weird cravings, uh, for sure, like her insatiable desire for salsa and chips. And so I became a regular at the carryout counter at Mexican restaurants uh, during Melissa's pregnancies. But I noticed some other things taking place with my bride. She started wanting to do a lot of tinkering in the house. And she wanted to get the nursery, you know, just right and everything for the baby. I kind of got that part. But then the project started to expand, it seemed like to me. She wanted to, to start messing with the whole house, you know. And I'm thinking, these kids are taking over and they haven't even arrived yet, you know. But what was happening with her is that she was nesting. And she was devoting enormous energy into getting our house just right for these babies, nesting. You know, the Bible tells us that if we are wise, that we will all pour enormous energy into the nesting of our hearts. Because everything else in our lives is flowing from our hearts. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 4.23, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And the Hebrew here says that, that our hearts are like a wellspring. And that everything else in our lives is like it's flowing out from that stream, from our hearts. And so therefore, guard your heart, nest your heart, cultivate your heart, because everything else in life is flowing from your heart. You know, when we look at the things that have happened in our nation this week and the things that have happened in our world recently, You hear all kinds of analysis about causes, but but the the media really doesn't get to the heart of the matter because the, the heart of the issue is this. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Everything in life flows from the heart. We have a heart problem. And we need heart transformation. So let's talk about that today. Now Jesus begins to talk about this subject in response, first of all, to criticism. He's getting a lot of criticism here from the religious leaders. And so we we see in in, in verses 1 and 2 that when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. Let's skip down to verse 5. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? Now the issue here has nothing to do with hygiene. They're not criticizing Jesus 
on an issue of hygiene. What they're talking about here, when they talk about the washing of hands, they're talking about a, a, a ritual washing, a, a ceremonial washing of hands. And like a lot of traditions, this tradition actually began with a, a good purpose in mind, because they, they, it was a visual aid to remind people that God is pure. God is pure and holy, and, and we need cleansing. And you know what? Jesus would have agreed with that completely. He would have agreed with all of that. But Jesus, as we're going to see, is going to point out that the religious leaders were wrong about two things. First of all, they were wrong about how we become unclean, what makes us unclean. And then they were wrong about how we can get clean. And so Jesus here, in response to this criticism, is going to give some clarity. And that's the second thing that we see here is, is, is clarity. Let's look together at verse 6. And Jesus said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Jesus says to them, you know, it, it, it's good that you're, that you're focusing on uh, impurity and, and sin, but the problem is that you're not going deep enough. You need to go all the way down to the heart when you talk about sin. You know, one time I was on a plane and I was sharing the gospel with a guy and he was not receptive and he was kind of trying to brush, brush off what I had said by saying, well, you know, I, I, just, I just want to believe in what Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't talk about sin or hell or anything like that. At which point I knew he'd never read the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, because here's what the Sermon on the Mount says about sin and hell. Matthew 5, 29 and 30. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Um, now, obviously here, Jesus is not uh, commending amputation. That's, that's not what he's doing. He's, he's using hyperbole here to make a point. And the point is this. Deal with sin in your life quickly and ruthlessly because sin is like a fire that spreads. If you, suppose you walk into your, your den and you see one of the cushions on the, your couch on fire. Are you going to stand back and say, well, it's only a cushion? You, you're, going to run, you're going to be frantic. You're going to rush to the kitchen. You're going to get the largest container that you can find, and you're going to go dump water on it because fire spreads. It can burn down your whole house. And so you want to deal with it quickly, radically, ruthlessly. Jesus says that's the way you should deal with sin. Because you see, sin, sin, uh, doesn't, uh, sin doesn't stay in its place, does it? <laughs> sin spreads. It, it spreads. It, it, it lives to consume and so Jesus says, take whatever quick, ruthless measures against it that you can. Cut off an arm. Gouge out an eye. 
And we know he's not talking literally here because if you were to do those things, it, it wouldn't deal with the real problem, right? The real problem is the heart. How are you going to cut out your heart? The Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn once said this, the line between good and evil passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. We need cleansing. Cleansing. That's the third thing that Jesus is talking about here. Let's look at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. In other words, Jesus says, Listen. Stop. Stop what you're doing. I want you to get every word, every syllable of what I'm about to say. Verse 15. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. In other words, Jesus is telling them, look, you're going to have to shift your whole paradigm. Your whole focus. Because you guys have been focused on outside in, and you've got to change, and you've got to understand that the real issue is inside out. Inside out. What's coming from within is the problem. Verses 17 through 19. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. Now that last statement is absolutely remarkable, because Jesus was not only a Jew, Jesus was an observant Jew. And you can better believe that Jesus here is not saying, oh, okay, all these, all these Old Testament laws, ah, they're just outdated. You know, let's, the culture is changing. Let's get with the times. Let's get rid of all, all this old stuff. That's not what he's saying. You can better believe that Jesus would have never abrogated any Old Testament law, a food law or anything else, unless he knew that it had somehow been fulfilled in him. Now hold that thought, because we're going to circle back around to it in just a moment. Let's look at verses 20 through 23. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, Murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Now, you know, today on one of the channels, I think it was maybe in the past week or two, we have something called uh, Shark Week. You know, just when you're getting ready to go to Nag's Head, right? They have Shark Week. On, on TV. Well, when I when I was growing up, 
Uh, we didn't have Shark Week. In fact, we didn't even have the channel where Shark Week is on. Uh, we had three or four channels. Uh, but one of them had Monsters Week. Man, I love Monsters Week. Uh, they used to have something called the 6.30 movie. Uh, maybe you remember something like that. If, you're, if you remember the 6.30 movie, you're dating yourself, okay? But I remember the 6.30 movie. Um, and so I could actually watch that when it didn't go off too late. But they had Monsters Week. King Kong, Godzilla. Yeah, I think the target week for the target audience for Monsters Week was like eight to ten year old boys, you know, just like me. And uh, and so, man, I, I loved I loved Monsters Week. And uh, and and a few years ago, a guy named Andy Stanley, Stanley wrote a book about our hearts. And uh, and uh, he he titled that book. It came from within, <laughs> the terrifying truth of what lurks in the heart. And he used this kind of old-school monsters movie poster is sort of a background for that. Some terrible things lurk in our hearts. There's some monsters, some scary stuff that lurks within our hearts. And Jesus here talks about some of that. He says, from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within. Some scary stuff that come from within our, our hearts. One time a British newspaper uh, wrote to a hundred leading intellectuals and they asked this question, what's wrong with the world? And one of them, G.K. Chesterton, wrote back this, What's wrong with the world? I am. We're the problem. Our hearts are the, the problem. Um, now, you know, this goes against the whole myth of, of, uh, of, 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 of progress in our world. Isn't this is shattering to a lot of people to understand that we're the problem? Because, you know, for the past uh, 100 years... Our, our world has been, we, we get our hopes up and we think that we're advancing and technology is advancing and, and the world is advancing in so many ways. And so in the early 1900s, in, in the Gilded Age, you know, people were very optimistic about where we were going. You know, technology was advancing. They thought, well, things are just going to get better and better and better. And then comes World War I. We just... Uh, a few days ago, uh, the first week of July, remembered the 100th anniversary of the Battle of the Somme, where in one day, 20,000 British soldiers died. And so in, in, in Britain, France, Germany, there was, just, there was a whole generation of young men who were just wiped out, wiped out in the First World War. And that did a lot to dampen the world's optimism, to dampen sort of the myth of progress. But, but we, there was still a lot of hope. President Wilson said, World War I, it's going to be the war, the war to end all wars. And it just laid the groundwork for the Second World War where 50 million people would die and 6 million Jewish people would perish in the Holocaust. You know, in the aftermath of... World War II, and in the aftermath of the Holocaust, um, people who had previously had sort of a, a secular worldview and who, who just thought 
gosh, we were progressing, we were moving beyond this. Their, their whole worldview was so shattered. And, and one of them, Lord David Cecil, said this. You can just keep advancing the slide. Um, the jargon of progress taught us to think that the savage and primitive state of man was behind us. But barbarism is not behind us. It is within us. What do we do? Where do we go? How, how can we experience the transformation of the problem, which is evil coming from our hearts? Who can deal with our hearts? God says this in Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, and I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. But how is that possible? Let me tell you a story. Many years ago, the prophet Zechariah had a vision in which he was transported to the temple in Jerusalem. In the temple, there were three parts. Outer court, inner court, and the Holy of Holies. In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And hovering above the mercy seat was the the cloud of God's glory. The Shekinah glory of God was there in the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a scary place for sinful human beings like us to go. And there was only one person who would ever enter the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And he would only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement. And in this vision, Zechariah has, a, he envisions the high priest Joshua, who is in the Holy Holies, standing there, and the angels of God are there. And the high priest, as I mentioned, would only go into the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And he prepared for a week in advance to do it. The high priest would be isolated, away from everyone else, He would spend all of his time in prayer. Clean food would be brought to him. And on that day that he was to enter the Holy of Holies, he would take a ritual bath, bathe every inch of his body, and then he would dress head to toe in in a garment of pure white linen. So he dresses in this garment of pure white linen, And the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies with a sacrifice. And first of all, he would enter with a sacrifice for himself, for his own sins. And then he would go out again and he would bathe again every inch of his body. And then he would dress head to toe once again in this pure white garment. And he would go into the Holy of Holies for a second time. And he would offer a sacrifice, this time for the sins of his fellow priest. And then he would go back out again, bathe again, dress again in pure white linen, and he would go in for the third time, this time offering sacrifice for the sins 
of all the people. Well, in this vision, Zechariah the prophet imagines the high priest, Joshua, standing in the Holy of Holies and his pure white linen garment is smeared with excrement. And the point of the vision that God was making was this. No matter how hard we try to make ourselves clean, God still sees the filth in our souls, in our hearts. But what does God provide? Let's look at Zechariah 3 and and verses 3 and 4 as this vision continues. Zechariah says, Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. We can be clothed with pure vestments. The pure, spotless garment of Christ's righteousness. Now, how does that happen? How does that happen? It happens because this incident, this vision points to something else that was going to happen. You see what? God was going to send another Joshua, a greater Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus was going to take a bath, but his bath was going to be human spit. And Jesus was going to have the only garment that he wore stripped from his body. And Jesus was not going to enter the Holy of Holies. He was going to be taken outside, outside of the gates of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem entirely, and die the death of a common criminal on a cross. So that we can enter in so that we can be accepted into the presence of God. Jesus took our filth on Himself that we could be made clean, that we could be given a new heart, that we could be clothed in pure vestments and enter into the presence of God. Now that's what this table is all about. It's about what Jesus has done for us so that we can have a relationship with Him and so that our hearts can be made new and so that sinners like us can enter His presence because we have a Savior who's taken our sins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again for the Gospel. We thank You for our Savior. We thank You for His atoning work for us on the cross. We thank You that He has risen from the grave 
that we might experience life abundant and life eternal. As we just continue to reflect in the presence of God, the Bible tells us that as we prepare our hearts to take part in the supper that our Lord ordained for us, that this is a time for us to examine ourselves. If there are things in our lives that are not right, if, if there are things in our lives as Christians that are, that are uh, hindering our fellowship with God, this is a time to reflect and this is a time to repent of those things. Are there people in your life where, that, where there's unforgiveness, bitterness, people that you need to be reconciled with? Would you make a commitment right now before God to seek restoration? that there might be nothing hindering in that relationship. If there's known sin in your life, it may be a, a sin that's hidden to everyone except to God, but it's not hidden to Him. By God's grace, would you seek to deal with that? Turn from that. So that nothing in life that you're aware of would be hindering your fellowship with God or your fellowship with other people. This is a time to, to reflect, a time to examine ourselves before we, we take part in this. I'm going to ask just to play very softly as we do that. Just We just reflect for a few moments before the Lord. ourselves before you. We, we confess our sins to you. We thank you that you have provided a Savior for sinners like us who took our sin and we remember him now through the special meal that he ordained to help us remember and to help us look forward to the fact that our risen Savior is coming again. And we pray it in His name. Amen. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust Bible says this in John 1.12, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God.
That means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.